This is the Bible in one year, day 205. A pillow on which to rest our weary heads. I sometimes struggle to believe that God really loves me. I can be tempted to feel a sense of failure and self-condemnation. It's relatively easy to believe that God loves everybody else, but it's much harder to believe that God loves me. The love of God, Paul explains in Romans 8, starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John Stott describes the truth of this passage as a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love, wrote St. Augustine. If you were the only person who'd ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. And if it's true of you, It's also true of me. God loves me and you. From Psalm 89 I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said... I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Tell of the great love of the Lord. The focus of both our worship and our witness is the love of God. First, worship. This psalm begins with worship, a hymn of praise, focusing on God's love. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Think about God's greatness and glory. How amazing it is to be loved by the Lord God Almighty. This is something that can never be taken away from you. The psalmist writes, Your love stands firm forever. Second witness, the message you pass on to others should always centre on God's love. I'll never quit telling the story of your love. Lord, thank you that I have experienced your love and faithfulness. Help me, Lord, to continue to make your love known to others. New Testament from Romans 8 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, 
as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined he also called. Those he called he also justified. Those he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Meditate on the amazing love of Christ. Do your circumstances ever cause you to question God's love for you? Paul suffered greatly through beatings, imprisonments, many other hardships, but he says that these sufferings cannot come close to comparing to the glory we will see one day. There is no comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. While you are waiting, you have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a down payment guaranteeing what is to come, the future glory. One day, the whole of creation will be liberated. Here and now, your body may be groaning as it is gradually deteriorates, but one day it will be totally healed and restored. Your resurrection will not be only spiritual, it will be physical. We wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Paul uses the analogy of a pregnancy. You are feeling the pains of labor. Meanwhile, the moment you get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping you along. 
If you don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He enables you to pray in accordance with God's will. If your prayers are led by the Spirit, they will definitely be answered because they will be in accordance with God's will. Life is not the random mess it may sometimes appear. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In every detail of your life, God is at work. All things includes even our mistakes. God will take even your errors and work them out for your good. He reigns. He is sovereign. In everything, he works for the good of those who love him. Supremely, the cross demonstrates that just as God took the very worst event in history and turned it into the very best, he can take the worst things in your life and use them for good. This promise applies to all Christians. He elaborates in verses 29 to 30. You are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. The first four events have happened, but glorification is a future event. However, Paul uses the same past tense for all of them. You are glorified. This use of the aorist completed tense shows Paul's certainty about the future. It has already been secured. This is astonishing. It is possibly the most daring statement of faith in the whole of the New Testament. It speaks of total security. The security of a Christian is solidly grounded on the unwavering love of God. This sure foundation is deeper than all your circumstances and feelings. How can you be sure of God's love? Paul poses five unanswerable questions. First, with God on your side like this, how can you lose? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, what others think is not so important. You are set free from the fear of people and from caring too much about what others think. Second, if God gave his only son for you, is he likely to withhold anything else? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Third, who is going to dare to prosecute you? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Fourth, if God is the judge and Jesus your defense counsel, how can a prosecution succeed? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? Jesus is your defense lawyer. He is supremely qualified. Christ Jesus, who died, has already served the sentence for us. He was raised to life by God. He is in the supreme place of honor, at the right hand of God. He's praying for you. He's sticking up for you. Jesus never stops praying for you. Fifth, how can anyone drive a wedge between you and Christ's love? You can be separated from friends and family by circumstances or even death. But who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This does not mean that life is easy. There may be trouble, hard times, hatred, hunger, homelessness, bullying, threats and backstabbing. But not even the worst of sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. In the midst of every difficulty, you can cling to God's love for you. Paul lists 17 possibilities involving calamities of life, superhuman agencies, time and space. His list includes absolutely every possible difficulty and challenge you may face. 
and he concludes that he is totally convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Isaac Watts wrote, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, how can I ever thank you enough for your amazing love? Thank you that in all things you're working together for good in my life and absolutely nothing can separate me from your love. Old Testament from Hosea 10 and 11 Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear the guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, We have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths and make agreements. Therefore lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a ploughed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth-Avon. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests, those who had rejoiced over its splendor because it is taken from them into exile. It will be carried to Assyria as tribute for the great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its foreign alliances. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Thorns and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, Fall on us. Since the days of Gibeah you have sinned, Israel, and there you have remained. Will not war again overtake the evildoers in Gibeah? When I please, I will punish them. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bonds for their double sin. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh. So I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plough, and Jacob must break up the ground. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unploughed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. Because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors, the roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated, as Shalman devastated Beth Arbal on the day of battle, when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children. So will it happen to you, Bethel, because your wickedness is great. When that day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. Hosea chapter 11 When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, 
and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Enjoy the unfailing love of God. Do you realize that God loves you more than any parent loves their own children? Hosea continues to speak of God's love for his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. They have allowed sins, conflict and idolatry to grow up like poisonous weeds and thorns and thistles. Be careful that these things do not grow in your life. Keep weeding out the bad stuff, even the little weeds, before they become big ones. As well as weeding out the bad stuff, plant beautiful flowers. God calls them and us to sow for ourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love for it is time to seek the Lord. He describes it here in terms of parental love. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I've called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. It was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I bent down to feed them. This is a wonderful picture of God's love and tenderness, like a parent looking after a toddler. I lifted him like a baby to my cheek, feeding them, teaching them to walk, taking them up in their arms. Even though they refused to repent and were determined to turn from him, he cannot give up on them. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This is the love that will not let you go. Thank you, Father, for your love, compassion, tenderness and mercy. Thank you that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you that your love is a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. Pepper adds, in Romans 8 verse 28 it says, For we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have hung on to this verse so many times when things haven't been working out or a big disappointment has happened. Looking back over the years at many of the things that didn't go the way I'd hoped, 
I can now say that it was a great blessing that they didn't. I could never have said that at the time, but there are still some things that I don't understand, and I'll have to wait till I get to heaven, when I hope that I will then.